Wednesday night Bible study. A little different than Sunday mornings in that uh, what we do is we take a verse, uh, a book of the Bible, we go through it verse by verse, put it in context, take a look at it, see what it really says. I'll try to get everybody good and educated about biblical things. We are in the book of Galatians. We call it a book, actually. It's a letter that uh, Paul wrote. Uh, the religious term is an epistle. It just means a letter. And uh, that he wrote to these people in Galatia, uh, uh, talking to them and challenging them about their faith. Now, um, we encourage people to bring their Bibles, you know, on, uh, on Wednesday nights. If you haven't gotten in the habit of that, you might want to start doing that. It's great because you can actually read along and see where we just were and what we're going to say next. And, and just get the whole thing, a sense of the context of stuff. Uh, even though we'll still put it up on the big Bible in the sky up there. But uh, we are in Galatians. Now, Galatians is a fascinating book. I mean, uh, those of you who've been following along with us so far have, have seen the context of this. Paul is seriously hacked. He is angry. He's as mad as he can possibly be. You won't find any record of anybody in the Bible being much madder than uh, Paul here, except for maybe, you know, some of these Old Testament guys that would... You know, waving a bunch of people to die or something. But I mean, he's really mad. And uh, he start, starts out, you know, in context. I mean, he, what he's mad about is that these people uh, have been listening. Paul comes in and teaches them about faith in Christ and about experiencing God in their lives. And then other people come along and then try to get them to fall back into the Old Testament laws and rules. And, uh, and getting all caught up and basically trying to become Jewish still. And uh, they started this big argument and Paul was really mad. He starts out basically telling the people that are doing this to go to hell, which we saw in chapter 1, verse 8. Not the nicest way to start a, a conversation with people. Um, then he starts talking about the apostles. He says, I don't care who these people are. If they're saying anything that's not right, I'm going to get in their face. He talks about how he got in Peter's face in front of a bunch of people. Then he starts talking about uh, why uh, the Old Testament law was even in there, but that faith started way before the law. He starts talking about uh, Abraham. Uh, and how the promises of God to Abraham were 400 and some odd years before the law ever even came along. And, and how everything starts in faith in the first place. And, uh, and then he goes on and he's, he's continuing here and uh, uh, actually continues to, to get mad. And, and the really big insult is coming. <laughs> if you haven't found it yet, wait till you see this. But, uh, um, but I want to cheat a little bit here. I, I want to, uh, we're supposed to be picking up at, at uh, chapter 4 verse 8. But I want to jump uh, to chapter 5. And and, and (laughs) just the the oddest series of comments I've had from people over the last several weeks. And, uh, you know, at first it kind of takes you back and you're not quite sure what people are talking about. But uh, I think there's a, a fundamental misunderstanding. When I'm talking about not getting caught up in the Old Testament rules and regulations, I'm talking literally these people, if you read the Old Testament law, it was very restrictive. It controlled so much part of your life. Where you could worship, how you could worship, what you should do when you should worship, what you couldn't do, what the priest had to do for you when you worship, da 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 da. I mean, it went to their personalized when you could make love to your wife, when you couldn't make love to your wife, when you could work, when you couldn't work. I mean, this is what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. It was like really, really intense. 
So I'm, I've been using the analogy, or, or talking about how we, we don't need to get into all that other kind of nonsense. And, and for some bizarre reason, people love getting caught into all this religiosity. But the analogy I've, I also tied into is in modern times where people tend to get very legalistic. You know, the Bible says you shouldn't get drunk, so we've become legalistic, so well then you can't drink anything. Well, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink, it just says you can't get drunk. And we talk about all these things and how these man-made rules and regulations and stuff are, are, are not... God doesn't need your help. Are you hearing me? God didn't want you to drink, he'd tell you, don't drink. He doesn't say that, he just says, don't get loaded. Alright? And there's all kinds of other stuff we could talk about. You know, you can't go dancing. Why? Because dancing leads to sex. You know, if I'm dancing with my wife, I hope it does. But that's, that doesn't lead to sex. It's just, you know, it's, it's kind of a big jump there, you know. Now, I suppose it depends on the kind of dancing you're doing. You know, if you're out there grinding and doing all kinds of weird stuff, somebody else will slap you upside the head if you're a Christian. Shouldn't be going in that kind of nonsense. But anyway, and then we talk a lot in church about loving people and accepting people for who they are and da-da-da-da-da. Well... For the last couple of weeks, I've had several situations where someone would ask me what I thought about something. And, and I would say, well, I, I think it's wrong. And, and then they would get mad at me. And, and they would yell at me. And barbecue me. You know, or, you're such a hypocrite. You say you accept people, but you don't really accept people. And I go, what are you talking about? Nobody ever said that grace was grease. There's a difference between grace and grace. Grace, God forgives you. Grace lets you do anything you want to do. I don't believe in grace. Go out there and just slide around and do whatever the heck you want to do and it doesn't really matter. Of course it matters. Sin is still sin. That's what we involved in sin. Someone comes in and, and talking about, you know, adultery, you know, and I say, oh, it's wrong to commit adultery. Why are you just condemning people? You're such a hypocrite. When did I ever say it was okay to commit adultery? And some other nitwit told his girl or whatever that I said it was okay to look at naked people on TV. Now, I don't know where he got that from. I'll slap him upside the head. Why are you just condemning people? You're not about every Good night. Bible, you know, someone comes to me and says, you know, what do you think about me marrying this unsaved guy? I said, well, it's common. I could say, well, it's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You're here, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a born-again Christian woman, you got no business, or guy, marrying someone who's not a believer. The Bible's very clear about that. But then I get roasted for, you're such a hypocrite, you say you accept. Goodness gracious. What I'm talking about are a bunch of legalistic rules and stuff. We don't obey that, but the basic rules of righteousness, of sin, we got to obey that stuff. Okay? Um... You know, I, I don't think people get it when you talk about getting saved. You know, I told you to go to, to uh, Galatians. I'm going to back you up to uh, Acts. Hang a left. <laughs> Acts, the 26th chapter. All right, where is this? Where is this? Verse 19. Paul is before the king, King Agrippa is this guy's name, and he's trying to make a defense of Christianity and because he's being persecuted by the Jews that want the king to have him executed and all that kind of stuff. So he's basically sharing with the king his story, what had happened to him. How he had, he was trying to out 
trying to kill Christians. He wasn't trying to kill. He was killing Christians. I mean, this guy was bad news. But then Jesus reveals himself to him and he winds up getting saved. The word saved, okay? So God speaks to him and then he says in verse 19, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. He saw this incredible thing. Uh, so he started obeying Jesus. He first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should, what does it say? Repent and what? Turn to God and the next word and prove their repentance by their deeds. This is salvation. Over and over again, you look uh, uh, throughout the book of Acts when they talk about what must I do to be saved? You need to repent. Repent means you turn away from what you know is wrong. You turn away from what's wrong and you turn to God. And then you do things that prove you really did it. Are you hearing me? Being saved means to be pulled out of something. Someone saves you from a burning house. They don't leave you in there. Oh, I I saved him. Really? He's on fire. (laughs) but But I felt it in my heart. Well, you nitwit. If I save you from getting, you know, pushing you out of the way in front of a, a speeding vehicle, I get you out of the way. Something happens when you get saved. This idea of, you know, living in a cesspool and, and, and just staying in sin. And then when someone like myself or others come and say, you know what you're doing is wrong, and you to get mad about it, thinking that, well, you, you got the hypocrite, you said it doesn't matter. We never said it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Sin is sin. Jesus died not to make you happy. He didn't. He died to forgive you of your sins and to save you from your sins. Pull you out of your sins. Not to leave you in your sins. So I thought you accepted. We do. We accept everybody. If you're here sitting your brains out, we still love you. But if you ask me what I think, it's wrong. I mean, we hate you. Had a lady here the other day in church. Introduced her, uh, guy introduced me to her. She, she's a witch. And I didn't go, oh, oh, witch, ah! <laughs> I went up to her and I shook her head. Nice to meet you. I, I got a good friend who's a witch. I do. <laughs> and, and just, you know, talking and being nice and stuff like that. You know, if she ever asked me, well, is it okay for a Christian to be a witch? No, it's not. Well, you're such a hypocrite. You accept everybody, you said. Good. There's a difference between ex- being open to letting anybody come to hear the gospel and then turning the gospel into a bunch of garbage. When, when, you, when you take what Christ did and you continue to live in a terrible way, you are just stomping under everything Jesus did. You can't do that. All right, so jump back to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Now, even Paul knew he was headed for this in his discussion. And I'm jumping ahead because i got to answer this question now before I go nuts with this stuff. And Paul says in Acts nine, and Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Everybody say obvious. It's obvious. Sexual immorality right at the top. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not. Everybody say, will not. Say, will not. 
say will not inherit the kingdom of God. You do this stuff, you ain't getting into the kingdom of God. You're on drugs, man. You're deluding yourself. You can't live in this kind of stuff. Commit adultery out there fornicating your brains out and lying and cheating and stealing and everything else. Well, I believe in Jesus. Pastor Mark says all we got to do is believe in Jesus. No, Pastor Mark didn't say that. It's important that you believe in Jesus. But when I say believe in Jesus, I'm talking you need to repent from your sins and turn to God and start living in a way that proves you really meant it. That's what it means to be saved, pulled out of something. I was in Tennessee once. And uh, some guys asked me to come out and ride their horses. I hate horses. <laughs> Stupid horses. So I get on this horse. And, and, and this horse knows I'm an idiot. And it says, this guy don't look familiar. I don't think he knows what he's doing. All of a sudden, I'm sitting this horse, it, you know, it took up the side of this hill like a bat out of hell. I mean, it's, and I'm going, ah! And I'm, and I'm pulling and yanking on this stupid horse. And this horse is starts running along the side of the hill, aiming for branches and stuff to knock me off. <laughs> and I am screaming and pulling and just, ah, dodging stuff. And then all of a sudden, he turns and starts running straight down the hill. I mean, we are screaming. I didn't know those wrestles could go so fast. But he's heading right for a big open cesspool of cow poop. And I'm going, ah! And I'm full. All of a sudden that horse goes, and cuts just like that. And of course I go flying. So like in slow motion, oh no! missed going in a cesspool thank god I'd still be emotionally scarred to this day but man if I'm sitting in a pile of cesspool cow poop up to my neck and I ask for somebody to save me what does that imply pull me out of it if I tell you man I was in a pile of cesspool cow poop and I got saved someone saved me you would assume they pull me out, right? I wouldn't still be in the cesspool going, hey, I got saved from the cesspool. <laughs> really? You're still in it? Yeah, but I got saved. <laughs> but you're still in it. Yeah, but I believe in my heart. <laughs> well, why don't you let me bring you out? No, I like it here. How can you like it? It's cow poop. It's warm. <laughs> and, and I don't have to worry about going to the bathroom ever. It just doesn't matter. I'm in cow poop. Good grief. I'm ta- I think there are millions of people in this country who claim to be Christians who are just still sitting in the cow poop. Up to their necks in it. And they say, I've been saved. You don't look saved. You just look smelly. You look stuck in a big mess. You've got to get out of that stuff, people. This is Christianity 101, and maybe this is my fault, you know. You know, I mean, some of you geezers my age, 15 and above, you know, most of us, how many had religious training when you were a kid? I mean, it was, you know, 
CCD or Lutheran. I mean, you, you got a fundamental basic idea. You know what I keep forgetting? Is this next generation come up, they haven't had Jack. They don't know anything. They don't get, when I say believe in Jesus and turn to God, I am assuming people get the idea, turn away from what you're doing, go to God and start doing new things. I think I just, I need to start being much more plain about that because then, you know, I'm just assuming people get it. Clearly, they aren't getting it. We've got people in our congregation doing unbelievable things. Couples cheating on each other, sticking their faces in it. See, I, you're not such a man. I can go have sex with this other guy. Come into my church and not thinking anything of it. And then when I confront them on it, you're such a hypocrite. I'm not a hypocrite. We got to get you out of the poop, man. (laughs) You are deluding yourself. If you think you can stay in that cesspool of sin and as long as you believe in your heart, it doesn't matter. I want you to hear this again. Those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Say, well, what's that all about? You need to repent. You You need to Jesus save you. Sometimes, you know, you just, ugh, these things make me crazy sometimes. You, know, you try to make the message of salvation so simple that people get it. But I think sometimes, including me, we make it so simple, people don't get it. They think literally all they need to do is repeat a prayer, and that's it. I'm saved. No, not until you repent, turn away from that, turn to God, and start living like you really mean it. Because then it proves that you really are saved. Is it the turning away that saves you? No, only God's grace saves you. But you can't stay in the cesspool hanging on to stuff that will destroy you. So when we're talking about this legalism stuff that we're not supposed to live by, we're not talking about it's okay to live like hell. Or live however the hell you want to live. And when I say however the hell you want to live, I mean exactly that because it isn't heaven. It's hell. People just live however the hell they want to live. Adultery, fornicating, lying, cheating, hating, bitter, unforgiveness, stealing. And think it doesn't matter. We love Celebration Church. It doesn't matter. Yes, it matters. You stay like that, you ain't getting in, Jack. We'll be waving at you as we go marching by. And I don't want you to point a finger at me and say, you never told me. I'm telling you. It's not what we're talking about. Now, if you're struggling with any of those things, do we still love you? Yes. You can be up to your eyeballs and cow poop. We still love you. We will be there for you. We will pray for you. But make no mistake, our goal is to get you out of the poop. Because you have got to get saved out of that stuff. You've got to turn away, turn to God, and start living like it's real in your life. That's what we're, so when we're talking about not getting caught up in all these rules, we're not talking about rules like don't kill, steal, commit adultery. No, those are pretty universal. I'm talking about these nitpicking rules. All right? Everybody clear? All right, back up to chapter 4, verse 8. I just, yeah. Uh, I appreciate, I appreciate the clapping. You know, it's not that we hate people in cow poop. You know, it's, it's not like we're, we're cheering people who are in a mess. It's just that we, we need, you need to understand. Grace doesn't mean you can just live any way you want to live. Wouldn't that be, you know, 
It just it makes no sense. Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's what the Bible says. He came to save his people from their sins. From their sins. Pull them out of their sins. Does that mean you never sin anymore? No, of course everybody stumbles. Everybody falls. Sometimes people do make really stupid mistakes, even like adultery and stuff. But these are the exception. People who just constantly live in these sins without changing and thinking that it doesn't matter. Oh my goodness, they're going to be in for a real shock if they don't repent. All right, so back to to Paul here. He's arguing with these guys, trying to explain to them, uh, you know, why they shouldn't be caught up in all these Old Testament laws. Now, formally, he says, he writes to them in verse 8, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. He's talking to these people who are Gentiles. A lot of them were into idolatry and stuff like that. In a way, he's kind of using an analogy here because a lot of that idolatry, although he's not, he's got to be careful how he says this, is a little bit like the Old Testament laws. In other words, it's based on stuff that wasn't God's, but they still had all their rules and regulations and days and days you could and days you couldn't and all these other kind of stuff. And, and uh, he says, you know, but now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them over again? You're observing special days, and special months, and special seasons, and special years. I'll tell you, this stuff really irritates me, as you've heard me go on about this for the last three, four weeks. You know, every once in a while, you know, evangelical Christians on TV, you know, it's a year of jubilee. This year God's going to bless you special, because it's the year. No, it's not. To the Jews, maybe. I got my year of jubilee. I live in it every year. So when I first repented of my sins and asked Jesus Christ to come into my life, I'm in jubilee, baby. I'm free. Hallelujah. So he says, I plead. What, what he says? He says, oh, I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I mean, he was so frustrated. I plead with you, brothers. Become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Now, that's news to us. We never, we never saw that. In fact, the only reference to him being in Galatia is uh, now Acts, the 16th chapter or something, verse 6, where he just uh, says that him and the guys were in Galatia for a while. and That's basically it. And a little bit later, it says he went back to some of the guys in Galatia. So we don't really know much about it. But a fascinating thing. Look, the reason he stopped there to get to know these guys, somehow he was hit by an illness. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. You say, well, well, was it just a little runny nose or something? I don't know what it was, but look, it says, even though my illness was a trial to you, so apparently it was, it was pretty significant. Now, now, stop and think about this. Have you ever felt frustrated that you don't get the prayers that you want when you think you ought to have them? I mean, we've all been there, Right? And you say, what happens? How come it's not working for me when we get impatient and stuff? But you know, you just need to be careful. You need to hang in there. Imagine being the Apostle Paul. You are healing people who just come in contact with your shadow. The power of God was on him so much. These guys, Peter and these guys, the Bible says that they just hold handkerchiefs and people would get the handkerchiefs later and have miracles. Raising people from the dead. I mean, this guy was full of the power of God. I mean, if you believe the book of Acts, these guys did incredible things. Now, can you imagine being this apostle? You're out there suffering. You're doing the will of God. You're healing people. You're seeing people get delivered and raised from the dead and busted arms healed and blind eyes open and sick people restored. And then you get sicker than a dog. Think about that. 
What a drag that has to be. How is it that I am now sicker than a dog to the point where I am incapacitated, I'm stuck with these people, They've got to go through all this trouble to help me through my sickness. See, sometimes you just, you just, it's easy to get really frustrated when you believe you've done everything right and somehow it doesn't seem like you're still getting the results that you should. Let me encourage you, just hang in there. God is faithful. The good news is he always comes through. He always comes through. The bad news is it's not always when you think it should be. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You know, we, we, we want our answers and we want it now. We live in a culture where everything is now. Man, you, you ever stick a cup of something in a microwave and get irritated because it's taken 25 seconds? <laughs> Do you remember that? I mean, it used to be you had to take a pan out. And you had to put water in the pan. And you had to light the stove. And you had to boil the pan. And then put your thing in the water. And then stir it. And how long did all that take? You know, some of you young guys don't. You mean there wasn't always microwaves? You know, there wasn't. <laughs> and now he's at 20, 25 seconds. Hurry up. The show's coming back on. <laughs> we, we live in such a this instant gratification, instant everything world. And sometimes when we don't get our instant prayers Oh my gosh. You know, and, uh, and, and I'll tell you, in one way, all these things, the, the quick things in life are wonderful and it's great and it makes our life easier. But I fear that it has uh, really done a lot of damage to people's expectations in life when marriage isn't easy right away. You know, I married the idiot. You know, I can't stand him. I'm going crazy. Well, how long have you been going crazy? You know. Six weeks, I can't take it anymore. Six weeks, good night. Come see me in 20 years. If it doesn't change, I'll help you out. <laughs> good night. I'm so impatient. Everybody's like, right now, and right now, and right now. And everybody wants stuff right now. And, and, and it's affecting our kids. You know, I, you know, you look around at our younger generation, and sometimes there's, there's just big chunks of them that are just, <laughs> God loves them. But they seem pretty worthless to me. <laughs> you know? They don't want to work for anything. They want things to be automatic. A lot of kids, and, and you, some of you younger ones, man, get a clue. A lot of these kids, they, they graduate from school and they get married and they're shocked when they can't have what their parents had when they left home. Well, newsflash, it took us 40 years to get all that junk. Seriously, and so they go into debt up to their eyeballs. You know, and they go, praise God, look, I got another credit card in the mail. God really loves me. <laughs> it ain't from God, Jack, I'm telling you. It's the devil trying to suck your brain dry. So you can pay 20% interest for the next 30 years. Don't get caught up in all that. Just be patient. Everybody's got to have everything. So you want to succeed in life, you got to work at it. You know? It just takes work. It just takes work. You know, anybody who's successful, you guys who are successful in business. It was real easy, wasn't it? Just happened like that, right? You know, you guys, Donald, Kabir, Packer players, big, successful guy. By the way, you guys are doing great. But uh, uh, <laughs> God bless them, man. I pray for you guys every day, by the way. I do. God, just keep you safe because that's one dangerous job you have. But, you know, say, well, how, how come I don't get a job? Why don't they hire me? Well, look at me. <laughs> All right? 
And I don't want to do what you guys do. It looks like way too much work for me. <laughs> you know, I like being a pig and eating whenever I want to. And I like not exercising. And I like sitting on my butt. Now, it doesn't make me a good football player. I got to tell you. This stuff doesn't come easy. They work. They slave. They discipline themselves. You know, the good news is the payoff is there. But we have a whole culture today. They just want the payoff. They, they look at guys. They envy these guys. You, you players and you successful businessmen. You know, how come I don't have all that stuff? Because you didn't work for it. You got to work for stuff. Stuff that doesn't happen automatically. And uh, so, but don't be discouraged when you're doing everything right and, and, it, and it can really break your heart. You're just doing everything you can and then all of a sudden things go badly for you. Here's Paul healing people, doing miracles, and he gets sicker than a dog. If anybody could have gotten bitter at God, it'd have been him. If anybody could have sat there and said, God, what is the deal? I'm doing all these things for nice people. How come my life stinks right now? I'm doing, you know, da da da. But he didn't. He, you know, just. You just take, man, whatever God gives you and you just write it. And who knows? In this case, God used this for him to stay, stay with these people, connect with these people deeply, and minister to them. God can even use the ickiest circumstances. You say, well, did God make him sick? I'm not going to get into this big debate. All I know is the guy is sicker than a dog and he ain't getting his answers quick. And these people stuck around with him. Just thought I'd throw that in as free. He says, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn when I was sick like that. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel from God. Apparently a very sick angel from God. He says, as if I were Christ Jesus myself. So what's happened to all your joy? You guys were so happy in this stuff. We were celebrating. This was so real. I can testify that if, if you guys could have done so, you'd have torn your eyes out and given them to me. That's the kind of love you had for me. And now he's writing to them because now they're criticizing Paul. They're criticizing Paul after everything Paul had did for them and following some other guys coming up with these doctrines. He said, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people, these people that are trying to suck him into all this legalism, are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. And he says, it's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I'm with you. It's good to be passionate for things, but be passionate for the right things. You know, people. You know, people get very passionate about stuff. The problem is they oftentimes get passionate in the wrong things. You know, thinking of football. You know, and I, and no one's crazier than me. You should see me. I embarrass myself screaming at the TV and shouting and dancing and jumping and twirling. But uh, you know, and that's fine. But what's so bizarre is, is people who who come to church. And, and just, they don't, they don't approve of displays of emotion. I don't think that's proper. No, stay very calm. And these are the same people painting themselves green and gold, you know, and jumping up. You know, just imagine how, how much they like to praise the Lord when they're out there, you know. Goodness gracious. Anyway, he says, my dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is forming you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. He knew he was coming across harsh. <laughs> no kidding. But he said, but I'm perplexed about you. Then he goes on and he starts using the analogy again from Abraham. And uh, um, it talks, talks about uh, Hagar and Sarah. Now, for those of you who don't know the story, God comes to Abram. Tells Abram, dude, I'm changing your name to Abraham. 
meaning the father of a multitude, a great patriarch. It was a sign of great respect to say that you are going to be a patriarch. And everywhere he went, he introduced himself as Abraham. People go, wow, Abraham, wow, how many kids you got? None. I don't think you understand what Abraham means, buddy, you know. But he understand. He just kept it up. But for years, God promised him he was going to have this, have all this incredible offspring. And for years, nothing. Years, nothing. Years, nothing. Years, nothing. Years. Again, God answers prayer, and we eventually see God did the miracle in Abraham's life. But Abraham, like so many others, we get discouraged because when the answer doesn't come as quickly as we want, we tend to come unglued. So uh, one day Sarah, who's feeling really badly because she knows her husband's dream, he's going to be this great, and by now she's an older lady and things are, you know, th- things haven't been working out anyway. And uh, she, she says, well, maybe God wants you to have sex with my, my maid. And, uh, and Abraham said, yep, that might be the Lord. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. He's like, all right, then, here we go. So, so he has sex with the maid. And, uh, and uh, God comes along and says, no, 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 no. I said, Sarah. And you have to trust me in this. So he had to go back. Well, uh, um, Hagar um, gives, gives birth to, to a child who actually becomes... The uh, father of a new nation uh, in, in the Middle East is basically where you get all your, uh, the Islamic world comes from this child. And, uh, and to this day, then you have, they have Israel, which is the child of the promise. Then you have the child of the flesh. The child of the flesh is when Abraham took things into his own hands and, uh, and, and wound up with, with this child. But then the child of the promise eventually came. And you have the two, and the two can't stand each other to this day. Okay, if Abraham hadn't gotten into that, we might not have quite the situation that we have in the world today. But what you gonna do? Anyway, so he starts using this analogy. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. See again he's related to them. It's the one of the promise. The promise is what has the power. More than the natural strength. He says now these things may be taken figuratively. For the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai. And bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai, Sinai in Arabia. And corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is from above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, because we were born of the promise, promise uh, of, of faith through Christ. Okay? Uh, at that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. <laughs> Still is. It is the same now, he says. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. The slave woman representing the old legalistic law, the free woman talking about grace, faith uh, in Christ. Okay? 
How are we doing? We're okay. Now, so the, uh, chapter 5. Again, they weren't really chapters. They added all that later. So he says, so it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're free. Hallelujah. That's why Christ came, to set us free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. Free from what? Sin. Free from the cow poop. Free from the cesspool. Free from the things that are destroying us and causing pain and destruction. Here's the thing about sin. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. It, it seems pretty entertaining at the time. I promise you, you stay in that stuff, it will destroy you. God is not a prude. He just knows that by people engaging in these things, it will destroy them. The end of it is always death. Nothing good comes from this stuff. He came to set us free so we can be free without all that junk. So he says, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Talking about all these legalistic rules. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be no, of no value to you at all. You go, oh my goodness, I was circumcised. Well, that's, uh, let me explain. What he's talking about when they trim the end of their, you know what, the, the, uh, that circumcision, it was just an, an outward sign of, of being a Jew. And when they did that, they were doing it because they were being circumcised so they can become Jews and start obeying all these rules. If you were circumcised, the child doesn't mean that Christ is of no value to you. It's, it's these people, that was the first thing they did to go back and start being involved in Judaism. He says if you do that, if you try getting involved in all those legalistic things, then Christ means of no value to you. What these guys are trying to tell me is you can have them both. And Paul says, no, you can't. All right. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. That's the other catch about this. A lot of Christians like to hang on to a lot of these Old Testament regulations uh, and, and become very legalistic and stuff. But they're really selective. They like some and ignore others. And what Paul says, look, if you're going to get into this, you've got to obey all of it. You can't just pick and choose. Well, why is that a drag? Because anyone who's read it, it's a drag. There's stuff that is not pretty at all. And, the, and, the, and the, the punishments were like off the charts. You know, they'd stone you to death for working on the Sabbath. Anybody work on a Saturday ever? You know, we, we, we'll kill you, Jack. I mean, you know, you can't. It's, it's an icky thing. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly wait through the spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You say, well I have faith. Yeah, but you're still in the cesspool. Real faith doesn't stay in the cesspool. Remember uh, what, what we read in James when we studied the, the, the last book that we studied, uh, James. James says faith without works is dead. Just saying you believe doesn't mean jack. Does the devil believe? Does the devil believe in God? You bet he does. In fact, James says the devil believes. The devil even knows the Bible better than you. Better than me. Remember, the devil takes Jesus up into the temple on top of that and tries to tempt him and stuff like that. He starts quoting the Bible to him. The devil. He believes in God. He knows the Bible. Is he going to heaven? Oh, no. He's got his own special place. Just believing, just the word believe, when it talks about faith, it's more than just saying, well, I believe. You've, you've got to put some meat on those bones. All right, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, you were running a good race, he says. You were doing so good. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. 
A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. What's he talking about? He's quoting Jesus here. Where Jesus said, be careful of, of the hypocrisy of the, the Pharisees. It's like leaven. You, you know, you take bread, flat bread, uh, and cook it, it stays flat. <laughs> Hence the word flat bread. But uh, if you put yeast, in, just a little bit of yeast and work it way through, it changes. It takes very little to affect change. And what he's saying, you've got to be careful. You start letting these legalisms and stuff get in. It's like yeast and it starts affecting everything. You've got to be careful not to get caught up into all this stuff. He says in verse 10, I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty. <laughs> what penalty? <laughs> Remember what he said in the beginning. This guy needs to go to hell. Let him be eternally condemned, he said. He is God, and he's just as mad as he can be. He says, brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Because he was being persecuted by the Jews. In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And then here comes the yo mama insult, the biggest insult in the New Testament you can find. (laughs) As for those agitators, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Now, if you don't know what that means, it means cut your whole wiener off. (laughs) This guy was not messing around. He is so angry. He starts out saying, some go to hell and I don't care if they're apostles or not. And I'm tired of this nonsense. I wish those guys would just cut their wieners off. Little anger management class, Paul. Take it easy, baby. This guy is angry. And if you don't think that's pretty angry right there. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Don't use your freedom to what? Indulge in the sinful nature. See, that's what, I'm, that's what these are the people. They stay in the cesspool. They're free, but they stay. They're free, but they stay. Don't do that, he says. Rather serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, <laughs> watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other all the law all these you, you want to know what's right and wrong it's all summed up in loving people as yourself you don't cheat on your wife if you love your wife and your neighbor you don't lie to people if you love people you don't steal from people if you love people all these things are fulfilled in that the basic righteous laws are covered in the one law is what he's saying so uh, anyway Pretty interesting stuff. All right, now, next week we will pick it up and we will finish this up and we will be done with the book of Galatians. Are y'all learning anything? Yeah, hopefully you're learning the right stuff. <laughs> but uh, pretty, pretty fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, we won't run into anything quite that uh, intense. Corinthians, he gets a little intense with, but, but nothing like this. He, he, he was really fighting hard. Um, Our ushers come and we'll take a quick offering tonight.